everybody. Good afternoon. Um, this is the e-roundtable for October 2020 by Rimbis. The topic for today is Pivot, Secure Your Future. It's going to be an exciting afternoon, I can assure you. One of the things that we hope you will take away from today's session is that where you are, you're not stuck. The opportunities are there. You just know how to harness them. You just know how to take charge of that space in which you're in and make something huge, different and impactful out of it. With me this afternoon, I have three very, very distinguished panelists. They're going to introduce themselves to you in depth, but I'll just tell you that I have women from three different generations, three different sectors, and have done three amazing things in three different sectors. Whatever sector you're in, you will get a lot from what they're going to talk about this afternoon. You're going to find a lot of things that you can transpose from their lives, from their journeys, and from their sectors to what you're doing. So please be very, very attentive. Have your pens and your paper right beside you. I'm going to try as much as possible not to interject. It might be difficult in some places because I know their story. So if they miss out on anything that I think you must absolutely know about, and for some reason they slide over it, I will bring them back so you get maximum benefit out of this roundtable that we're going to have this afternoon. First and foremost, I want to thank our sponsors. They've been very, very magnanimous. They have just done, you know, amazing, amazing stuff. And um, we have to say a big thank you to Nigerian LNG, first and foremost, and also to First um, Pensions. National Pensions Come. We have somebody from National Pensions Come here, you know, sponsored by First Pensions. Thank you very much. I'm going to talk a little bit about Wimby's for those guests on here today and our participants who don't know very much about Wimby's. Wimby's is Women in Management, Business, and Public Service. It's a nonprofit organization that has over 19 years implemented lots of programs that inspire, empower, advocate for greater representation of women in leadership positions in public sector, in the private sector, and um, in the um, civil service as well. Wimbis is the first Nigerian NGO that has ranked 428 worldwide in the Africa-Nigeria affiliate partner, with the Afri also as uh, Africa-Nigeria affiliate partner in IWEC. Wimbis is also a volunteer-based organization. So a lot of the work that you get that gets done by Wimbis is done by volunteers from our associates, our executive council, and of course we have our parents who are in the um, trustees. More information about Wimbies can be found on our website, www.wimbies.org. And um, an evaluation link will be sent to you at the end of the, um, web, uh, the e roundtable to get your, your views and your feedback on what we're doing. And um, we would invite our participants who are not Wimbies associates to become one of us today. Please join us. It's an awesome, awesome organization. There's a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of strengthening of your um, capacity and your views are enhanced and your networks are you know, blossom when you become a member of Wimby's. And um, for those of the associates who are yet to renew their membership, I know it's a COVID year, we haven't done a lot of things in the physical, but please remember to update your membership, go to membership at wimbys.org. Please tweet and tag us, hashtag Wimby's webinar. We're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, make sure you join and follow us on all our 
social media platforms. Our sponsors, once again, Nigerian LNG and Nigeria Pensions Com. Thank you very much for supporting us. And um, I'm going to just quickly move on to my panelists. I'm going to try not to do a lot of introductions so that we can get right to the meat of this afternoon. Thank you very much. So I'm going to start from our youngest panelist, Dr. Itunu. Welcome and um, thank you for joining us this afternoon. You have to unmute, ma'am. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much for having me. Such a pleasure to be here. I feel very honored <laughs> to be invited. Thank you so, so much. <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about yourself and um, why you think you're the one speaking to the audience this afternoon. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm a medical doctor um, and a healthcare entrepreneur. Um, so that, that's really it. But um, I have the pleasure to run an organization called uh, Medbury Medical Services. And um, in Medbury, we provide workplace health solutions to various industries and various companies um, from multinational organizations to um, local organizations of every size, essentially. Um, we've been in business for five plus years, and um, we're grateful for the opportunity to have been able to serve thousands and thousands um, of people, of employees, of various organizations and individuals as well. So in a nutshell, that's, 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 that's my introduction. <laughs> the shocking part when, she's get, when she gets into the meat of it is what she's been able to achieve in five short years. So I'm going to invite next my sister, Mrs. Ogunde, to please just give us a brief intro. Thank you very much, Runga. I'm highly delighted and honored to be here this afternoon. I've been a member of Winbase since the inception of Winbase from the very first meeting in Abuja up till this moment. And I know that uh, I've benefited tremendously from being a member of, the, of that great network. So thank you, Winbase. And uh, I run an organization called Eduma. Edumac is simply education marketing, and uh, we've done a lot of work within the education sector. I actually crossed over from the field of marketing communications, running an advertising agency to the education sector. Now I am so branded education that I need to keep reminding people that my background is actually advertising and marketing. But Today, here we are. My organization, EDUMAC, has been able to do a lot of things within the education sector. And I believe that one of the things driving us and that has made us, uh, and has put us in this position is our genuine desire to transform the education sector. We have been able to create numerous projects, numerous programs, and I believe the been of impact within the education sector. So I'm so grateful and thankful that I have the opportunity to share a bit of that journey with people here. Thank you very much, Mrs. Ogunde. And last but not the least is Honorable Engineer. I'm going to ask her to please share a little bit about her experience and where she's coming from and what she does now. And um, before you know, she, I invite her to start, I'm just going to let you know that we're going to have a couple of polls during the um, session. Please answer them. They're really short. 
they'll take you less than a minute to do. And then so that we can just share with you what the general view of the house is on certain issues as we go along. So Honorable Mrs. Adeyemi, the floor is yours. Ma'am, do you have your microphone off? Thank you again, Ronke. And I want to extend my appreciation to Mwimbis for inviting me once again to the endorse, like uh, Edumak uh, director said, uh, part of Mwimbis since inception as an associate um, in person. Uh, looking back, one cannot but be grateful to God, especially when you find yourself in a sector where it's tagged a muscularized sector. I started with medicine, but if I'm a doctor today, I'm sure I will have died. Because whatever is happening to anybody, this level of sympathy, what I go through, I have a lot of sympathy. I empathize with people. If you tell me you have pain in your chest, before I know it, I start having pain in my chest. And I just made up my mind, what can I do that I'll be talking to? And so one of my brothers said, talk to stone. So I said, what is stone? I never knew anything about geology. He said, geology is talking to stone. So I found myself studying geology. But unfortunately, after graduation in those days, the, the, the space is not opened. And remember, maybe if it is now, maybe one will be able to find oneself in another sector like oil and gas. But since nothing was happening then, the oil and gas was even shot against women because of various laws and all that. So I said, okay, let me try engineering. Again, got into engineering and find out that there's no free access anywhere. So naturally, after a while, I quit. I left my job and I went into politics. And on getting to politics, faith took me somewhere, and I found out that ah, this sector why is it so muscularized? And because inside of me, I vowed that all these discriminations and things that happened to me, I must create a pipeline of development for younger generations. And I must put in as much as I can. And if you look at my activities, even in the National Assembly, the first bill that ever went through, female, female, uh, female circumcision, you understand? I'm always excited about anything gender. So that was how I found myself in this space. And I started working. And I'm happy looking back that the space is opened up. Now, there's hardly any aspect of mining that you don't find women. The critical number might still not be there, but at least we have broken that jinx or say no this is not for women this is not for educated women whether you are literate or not literate whether you are as long as the interest is there you can always aspire to work in that sector and now we have men who are opening up and embracing us because the mere fact that we are working with them because again i must define you know, when we talk about feminism and all that feminism for me doesn't take away my african culture i still see the whole the man scripturally as a head. But all I always ask for is that give the women a room to excel and you'll be amazed at what women can do. So it's a privilege today to be here looking at the younger generation because I think you called us in order of our, <laughs> of our calendarized <laughs> day. 
So I'm grateful to God that I see women opening up the space in Nigeria. And then it's a privilege again to be here. So as we go along, maybe one will be able to reveal more about once. Uh, thank you very much, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so um, the Q&A box is always open. So once you have questions, just pop them in there. We'll visit the Q&A box when we're done. But I'm just going to shoot out some hashtags, some words that I should, should get you all excited and thinking. First thing is virgin field, liberty to create. Interesting times, reinvent, redesign, new mindset, challenging times, making the common peculiar, new frontiers, reform, policy championing, conference attending, midwifing processes, building ecosystems, um, affecting ecosystems, impact, dedication, and enlarging your coasts. So if any of those words resonate with you, this is your afternoon. So um, we're not going to take too much of your time. It's time to delve into the real matter. And I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to go from the middle now, Mrs. Ogunde, to take the floor. Okay, thanks a lot, Ronke. Like I said, this is a unique opportunity to actually look back and share and ask questions about how it all began. You know, the one that really, really struck me in all our hashtags is that one of virgin field. Virgin field. When I decided to make the jump into the education sector, bringing in the, uh, the skills that I'd acquired as a marketing communication professional, it was virgin territory there was absolutely nothing like that. You know, I, as you were speaking, what struck me was how I started. I was running an advertising agency and it's, a, you know, if you are familiar with us in the advertising industry, it's a highly male dominated industry. That time when we go for AGMs and all that, and maybe I will attend then, um, Mrs. Bola Thomas, she will be there. Then Bumi Oketu will be there. About three or four of us women and the rest, maybe about 60 men and just, just the four or five of us as agency heads. And I used to ask myself that how can I break the glass ceiling in this place? How can I create something that is uniquely right for me? Here. Here I am. I can't go with them to the clubs. It's too late. I have very, very young children. They're in school. I need to do school runs in between. I need to ensure that I supervise homework and so many other things. So it was clear that I could not pursue accounts the way the men could pursue the account. But I still knew that there was something that was peculiarly right for me. And at that time, I noticed that there were quite a number of educational institutions springing up. I looked at them, they were education professionals. They were not really communications person or business person, uh, people as such. And I knew that sooner or later, there will be a need in that sector for people who have my skill. And I began. I didn't have any templates to actually use. Guess what I did at that time? That was almost like 16, 17 years ago or even more. 
I remember at that time, the internet and things like that, they were not really all over the place. I used to, uh, there was a place somewhere in GRA on top of Barcelos in those days. They had a good, uh, it was, they, they used to call them business centers in those days. There you, you pay to browse. You pay per hour or you buy to us. And what was I doing there? All I was doing there was I was doing my research, looking for organizations in various parts of the world that have actually done what I needed to do. I think I came across one or two statmats and all, one or two. So I was reading the model that they had in there and I was trying to now adapt it to what I wanted to do. And that was how we started. We got into the education sector. We studied the theory. We began to analyze and to research into their problems. And then we created programs for them. We have over the years created quite a number of programs. But one of the things that I actually saw that made it so right for me was that it gave me an opportunity to be able to combine what I really love to do. That is adding value to people. That is making sure that driving change. And I was able to do that within the education sector because I saw that what I was doing was something of value. Let me give you an example. One of the projects that we created is called We Are the Future of Our Nation. We identify key three objectives that we want to, uh, that we want to achieve. Inspire patriotism, promote unity, create a, a, a generate role models for young ones. And we were able to run it for 15 years nonstop. Thousands of students pass through that platform. Say, I'm able to, we have created even a very strong online presence. We call it Concerned Parents and Educators Initiative. And we have over 187,000 members in about 21 states, the federation, and of course, a lot outside the country. And through that, we have been able to do various things in the education sector with teachers, with school owners, with indigent students, with low-cost schools, so many things. It's given me a unique opportunity to be able to do things I want to do the way I want to do them. And it was just like a virgin territory. We created Total School Support, the biggest education school, uh, education show in Africa at the moment, all because I decided to venture into a new territory. At that time, there was no clear cut path, but I just feel, you know, there are times you jump in and you build your wings. You build your wings, just jump in, then you build your wings on the way up. So that was exactly what I did. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask um, the secretary to put up the poll right now. Let's take the first poll. It's going to be put on the screen. So just answer those two quick questions and then we're going to write, dive right back into the session. So it's two seconds. I'm sure you'll be done in two seconds. I'm going to ask Ms. Um, Ogun, Mrs. Ogunde to ask, answer a few questions that um, would highlight a little bit more of the meat of the discussion of pivoting ourselves in these challenging, so to speak, times. Yeah. Okay, so while um, I'm sure most people are done with their um, poll right now, 
And one of the things I want her to explain is what was the main thing that caused her to look at education and the direction she went to education? Because usually most people, their stories have a, a catalyst, something specific that gave them that turning point. It might have been a meeting you went to where you were treated shabbily or you wanted to pay for something and you couldn't afford it. And something from in, deep inside of you said, you know what, enough of this. Something yeah. has to change. So I want you to share that with us this afternoon. Okay. Uh, thanks a lot, Brunke. What, uh, this, there's a story that I know that anywhere, anywhere anyone asks me this question, that's the story that always pops into my mind. And I remember it clearly. Corona schools, they, I think they wanted to celebrate their 50th anniversary or something at that time. And they invited my organization, that was Goals and Ideas, that's my advertising agency. They invited us for a meeting. And all of us, we held the discussion. And after we, I just stood, I just stood at the meeting and looked around. And that we assumed that people outside the industry know, but unfortunately they don't. I said the education sector is a virgin field. That's where we are. It was at a meeting with Corona. So I always attribute things to that particular meeting with Corona. I think it was at the Corona Schools Trust Council where we held the meeting. And I just came out of the meeting. I knew that this is a sector that will need our services and that we need to create something that is right for them. And the rest is history. Okay. So I'm going to ask Dr. Itunu to hop on next and share her story. She has a very, very emotional story to say. So bring out your handkerchiefs absolutely. or your tissues, whatever, because you're, you're absolutely going to be away. So I'm going to give the floor to Itunu right now. Okay. Thank you, Atiroke. <laughs> um, yeah, our story is an interesting one, as you've mentioned. Um, it's just the story of how we started out and how I started out. And um, it's, I've said it a, a, a couple of times and I, I will say it again because I believe that it really creates value and inspires and I hope that it inspires those that are listening. Um, a few years ago, I was a youth copper. I just um, almost completed my youth call and you know, I got a call from a friend of mine saying that there was a hospital that needed some help. You know, they wanted to hire a medical doctor but the hospital was having challenges financially. So I came on board, I joined the hospital, and, in, and truthfully, the facility had financial problems, you know, they were about to be shut down, the banks were on, on that case, you know, it had gone into receivership, meaning that, you know, the banks are taking over. And, you know, within a short period of time, um, my boss had resigned, my boss's boss had resigned, everybody that I reported to had left the hospital. I was maybe one of the most senior uh, people in the hospital. And I was, a, I was just a junior medical officer at the time, a few years ago. And I remember, you know, my parents saying to me, what are you still doing in that place? I mean, you haven't been paid in a long time because we worked there and, you know, salaries were not coming in, you know, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't great, you know. And I, I remember one time that my dad called and said, it's, you can do anything. 
all your all your friends are traveling abroad all your friends are getting um job placements in larger hospitals in bigger places what are you still doing there i remember my dad saying that but then there was something that you know was interesting for me and there was something that was important for me which is the word responsibility because I felt responsible to those that had brought me on board and I felt responsible to the junior staff that were left in the facility, left in the hospital. And I, I kept saying to myself that if I leave, what's going to happen to the jobs of all these people? And um, so I took the bull by the horn and I went to the bank and I said to the bank, okay, so how much does it even cost to buy this place? You know, how, <laughs> you know it was, it's very interesting because the day I went, I actually went in my copper's uniform. I remember, you know, I, I actually went in my copper's uniform or, and I was, you know, a young lady going to a large bank and saying to them, okay, well, you say you, we owe you, how much do you really need? You know, hundreds of millions of Naira. And it's very interesting because um, at the time, I, I always say I was blissfully ignorant because if I know now what I knew then, maybe I wouldn't have had the confidence to even go because I would have thought, oh, all the, everything is stacked against me. Nobody's going to take you seriously. I just want young lady, but I had too much self-confidence. And I went to them and I asked, you know, and it's very interesting because they gave me an answer. It was, it, the, the, it was, um, the hospital was owing hundreds of millions of Naira at the time and there was no way I could come up with the money. But then there was no harm in asking. So they responded to me and they said, well, this is how much you need to pay. And I said to them, okay, I'm interested. I had no idea how I was going to get the money. I had no idea how it was going to work. But you see, the most interesting thing here is that I came to find later on that at that meeting, after that meeting, those that were in that meeting actually jeered at me and said, how can this young girl come up and buy this facility from us? It's impossible, right? But because they didn't want the place to be totally shut down because if they had said no to me, maybe I would have walked away with what was left, right? They said to me, okay, not a problem. You can continue, we'll think about it while they were cutting other buyers. It's very interesting. And you know, uh, many things happened. It's so it turned out that nobody was interested in buying. And at the end of a few months, we struck a deal and we said, we will pay you little by little. You know, it, it, <laughs> it's a very interesting story because I remember the first day after we signed that, um, signed the uh, term sheets and all that, and I was in the facility, we had only 500 Naira, which is about a little less than $2. We had 500 Naira left in cash. We had a small generator. I, I know, you know, those very small ones that they call like better pass my neighbor, you know? Um, because of the challenges that the facility had, we had just a few customers left and I had a handful of staff left. And the question was, how do we go from here? It's, you have committed to this hundreds of millions, you know, um, you've negotiated it downwards, yes, but then how, how are you going to move on? And I remember that day, we called the rest of the staff, all the staff around and we said, Lord, this 500 Naira, this generator, and, and yes, we had one year of paid rent in our facility at the time. And we said, Lord, we put it in your hand. <laughs> Help us to grow it, you know. And from that day on, we took the 500 Naira. We bought a petrol of, uh, I think, 250 or 300 Naira. And we prayed that somebody would walk in. And somebody did. So, and then that person came in. That person paid, you know. 
um, we use the money to turn around and buy the next set of uh, petrol. And you know, and it was just like that. And I remember at the time when we started, I was the doctor, I was the cleaner, I was the one that was doing everything right with the handful of staff that I had. But there was one thing we always said that everybody that walked into that facility would get the best service that they could ever have imagined. So we treated every little, every little, every, everything that came our way, we treated it with, the, with precision and with quality because we understood that if you are able to do well in little, you would be able to get bigger right so we kept doing that and we kept praying but just speaking to the topic today about pivoting we did have to pivot because you can imagine we didn't have any medical um any consultants anymore they had all left we didn't have any real experts because i was just straight from school i just finished my housemanship right so i was a medical officer with no particular um clinical skills at the time right so we said to ourselves what do we have in our hand which is really, really important for everybody listening now, because you might think, oh, it's just this front desk job I have. Oh, it's just this uh, small business I've been struggling with. You need to look into what you have and, not, and, and don't focus on the things you, um, and not focus on the things that you don't have. So we said, what do we have? Okay, we have one year of paid rent. We have a beautiful facility because it was set up by a German doctor at the time. So everything was perfect. We have a handful of staff. And then we have company clients. We have a lot of corporate clients. And then we have some certifications in medical fitness screening. So we thought and we said, how do we sell? What do we sell? What are we good at? And that's why when we started occupational health and healthcare and services to corporate organizations, because that was what we had at the time. And that's what we could start and continue to build. And in terms of pivoting, people just think, oh, let me, this is not working out. Let me just jump to something else. No, it's about looking at where you are, looking at the resources that you have, however small, and see, looking at the environment you are in, and then deciding how best to go about it. And we thank God, um, a few years down the line, we have been able to come out of, you know, that phase. And it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey because, you know, one thing I'll say here is that sometimes when you see successful entrepreneurs, it's very easy to think, oh, they just started beautifully, you know. I've had somebody say to me that, oh, it's her husband that built a facility for her, which is very far from the truth. But yes, you know, um, people, people assume a lot of things, right? But then you need to put in the work, which is what we did. And there were times that I didn't know where salaries were going to come from. There were times that I didn't even know if the business was going to survive. I remember a certain time where, you know, I called the staff and I said, look, I'm not quite sure that we're going to survive past this month or the next month. Well, it's very interesting what I did. I took, I started looking for jobs for all the staff because of the responsibility that I had towards them, which is also very important, which is something I must stress. I bless God every day for the opportunity he has given me to be an entrepreneur because it helps me to create value for others. It, it, it's more of responsibility. There are some questions that people ask and say, why did you stick to it? Why didn't you travel abroad like every one of your classmates? Because it's very easy to get a job at, abroad as a doctor, right? Why didn't you do that? But for me, it was about responsibility. Responsibility to my staff, responsibility to clients, responsibility to my country. Because that passion of changing healthcare in Nigeria has always been something 
that has been that has been there for me, something that has been life for me, that's been a dream for me. And I thank God for the opportunity to do that. And um, down the line now, we've done a lot. We've been able to grow into other uh, facilities. We started in our facility in Lagos, in Lekki phase one. We've moved to Port Harcourt, we've moved to Delta State, we've moved to quite a number of places. And to the glory of God, we are now pan-Nigerian. We now provide services across Nigeria. You know, um, our staff strength has grown, you know, um, and then we've been able to build a structured, you know, organization since that time. Um, it, it's very interesting. I will also say one thing that I've said before. One of my dreams when I was in uh, medical school, I always saw a country that people could access healthcare. you know, where, you know, the poor, the rich middle class could have access to healthcare services. That was what I wanted to do in my life. That is what I want to do with my life. And it's very interesting because what God presented to me was totally different. It wasn't healthcare to the poor and all that, but he gave me something. And it's important for everybody to understand what, always ask yourself, what is that thing that God has given you? One of the beautiful stories about God, God making your dreams come true for me is this is what I wanted. I wanted to provide healthcare to the uh, bottom of the pyramid. But one of the things that, that has happened now is that we are now actually doing that through our CSR project. To the glory of God, we've been able to pilot a primary healthcare facility um, from last year to this year in um, one of the poorest areas in Nigeria. We've been able to run it sustainably. And one of the things that we do now with our earnings um, and with the help of our, of our clients, is to be able to provide healthcare to people in need. So it's very interesting and it's very wonderful that that dream that I always wanted is now coming to life. But I didn't even see that that was what was going to happen. I just took care of the thing that God put in my hand. So while I'm telling this story, and I've said it over and over again, one of the things I would say is, wherever you are, whatever it is you are doing, Never look down on your little beginning. Never look down on the opportunity that God has given you. And always take responsibility. Don't always think me, me, me. Because people ask, is it because you wanted to own something? I never started out wanting to own the, the company. Not at all. But it was important to me to take care of those that God had left for me. To take care of the staff that I didn't want to leave anyone behind. And that, those are one of the, some of the things that continue to push us and continue to make us grow a leaps and in bounds. Thank you so very much, Dr. Etunu. Thank you. I mean, I hear this story over and over again, and every time I'm like, wow, you just really don't know what's around the corner where you're standing from. So this is a challenging time. COVID has been very challenging. You've had two different people speak about their own COVID time because I mean what happened to her is probably even worse than what happened to most people during COVID. You find yourself in uncharted territory, afraid, unsure of the future, but you know you don't get paralyzed and stay in one place. You start doing something. Same thing with Mrs. Um, with the first speaker. She found herself in an industry. She couldn't see how she was going to move forward. She couldn't really find how she was going to join the boys club and beat them at their own thing. She had her own circumstances young children, but she moved her skill sets from one sector to another sector that was lacking, a new frontier, and she made 
things happen there. I'm sure she met loads of people who had 10, 15, 20 years in education. They never thought about the way she thought of the education sector. So sit back and think, where are you and what skills and what values, what lenses can you use to see another place where you have a passion for or something you have a passion for that you can tweak either with technology or with your gender lenses or with your emotional lenses or with your experience, personal experiences and make yeah. that change. Because when you go into a sector or a space like that, you find out that nobody can beat you at that game because your, that game is unique to you. You are the one that made the rules. You, are the, you have such an edge over everybody. The, the ability yeah, for them to leave from getting there and catch up with you is almost impossible. Yeah. So put your thinking yeah. caps on as we're having these discussions and start thinking of how you are going to pivot. You have those skill sets. You have those experiences. These are challenging times. This is a time where you could reinvent, redesign, and revamp yourself. So last but not yeah. the least, I'm going to bring on Honorable Engineer Janet Adeyemi, who is going to be speaking to us about things that happened as far back as 40 years ago. So she's going to take us on a journey. So sit back and enjoy this. Honestly, I think it's you know, shouldn't finish her story. Like I said, <laughs> I never got over it. And I've been praying too, Lord, during your visitation, may I not miss my opportunity. And if I've missed it, God of second chance, give me more chances. And I think every young one needs to us today shouldn't just see you know because i say anything nigeria whatever we copy we go we go and copy and copy and copy but this particular one today if what i'm thinking is what every young one is thinking i think it's an opportunity to stand in awe before god almighty and say lord send me teach me what do you want me to learn so let's not see it as um just one of those sessions. Coming back to what I have to say, COVID, I'm sorry I'll be maybe referring to scriptures a lot. COVID taught us something. And the most important lessons to take from COVID, because nothing happens to humanity without God knowing, is to reset the world. And God did it in such, because it's a very humorous God, he did it in such a way that if you are not careful, you will miss the point. Because if you look at it, giants, industries collapsed. Those companies. Things you never imagined you can even aspire to compete with collapsed. Self reset the whole global activities of the world. And having done that, it's left for us to say, what do I want to do? What advantage do I want to take for? Because it's, you are back to ground zero. That's the truth. Even when you are very, you are doing so well before, you are back to ground zero. So coming to mining, mining has always been a very muscularized sector where women were not given opportunity. But like I said, things have changed. You'll be surprised as women who are selling gold. Just yesterday, one of the women posted gold to me. The, the 23 million naira, and you just see the gold checkered like that. You know, you start wondering, ah, what is this? So there are so many things you can do in that sector. And getting to that sector, mine is just to encourage women out there today: never, never be intimidated by any word. The the more job breaking the word is, the easier it is. 
and go and ask people who studied mathematics. You look at integration, you look at those symbols. When you see it, it frightens you. But when you move closer to it and you get the basic understanding, you know it's the easiest thing to tackle. So it's the same thing with any sector. Any sector that is defined and said, oh, this is a male-dominated sector. This is a sector that women should not move near. That is the more reason women should be attracted to look closely. What is it? We want to understand the workings in that sector. How does it work? And remember now that we are in a digital world. A digital world where so many things, because we are looking at, just like you said, virgin industries. You are looking at smart industries. You are looking at smart innovations. You are looking at digitalization, which is coming up. In, for instance, in Mali, there's uh, on the outskirts of Bamako, there's a, there's a gold in my a gold mine there, which is hundred percent automated. You don't have to get away from where you are. You understand to drill and mine equipment are there. You get to Norway the same thing. So more women are coming into the sector, and there are various areas to occupy in the sector. Like what we went through, no no woman of your generation, except you are making excuses, we go through it. Because these days, you even have the audacity to report lecturers. If a lecturer misbehaves, there are laws that are passed to favor you. In those days, you don't even be able to say it. Even when you are raped, who will you go and tell that you are raped? Because it's like a societal stigma. You, the victim, you understand, we suffer more for it. But now, if people talk about rape, we bring married women who came out and talked about rape easily. So nothing, nothing should intimidate you or put you below. Then career-wise, whatever you want to do, nothing equally should discourage you. It's a question of you settling down to look at what you want to do. And I want to just encourage you today that the mining sector, because if I start talking about the historical perspective, what drew me to that sector and everything might take time. But the most important thing is that I dare to be different. In my life, I hate to be cheated. I hate to be discriminated against because of my gender. I hate the men to see me as a lesser, a weaker vessel because I always drum something that I'm yet to see, I'm yet to, to read anywhere where they told me that the brain or the configuration of the woman is inferior to that of the man. So once you have have that underlying belief about yourself that there's nothing a man can do that you cannot do. That is what technology is there to aid you, you understand, to be able to do those things. How many men lift anything? Does that go to lift or do anything in all those things? You give instructions. And you have women, the richest women in the, the woman on the continent of Africa mines manganese in Kosi. You understand, you see her, she's generally like that, and she has. She's been, she has ventured into communications, into all different depart departments of it. And here in Nigeria, it's springing up. Here in Nigeria, we have women who are into gold, very big gold mine, uh, industry. We have them in gemstones. We have consultants. And the mining sector, like I told my sisters, and we are doing the, 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 the dry test was a sector that attracts all. Young ladies do not be discriminated against. In that sector, you have lawyers who can come up with SPV, joint venture agreements, who can come up with all manner of things. People will always take loan. People will always go for one facility or the other. You have mineral traders. You understand? You have your, you, 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 want to, you want to go to Madagascar. You want to buy beautiful rubies there. You want to go to Kenya. You want to buy beautiful stones there. And you carry these things. You get a jeweler you want to design, come up with your own unique design. You know, when it comes to fashion, Find me women anywhere you can say this one is a Nigerian by virtue of what she's wearing or what she's doing. Forget 
forget about her class or status. You always, we stand out where we are. So in terms of designs, you understand, value chain addition, you know, and you know what COVID did? COVID just simply promoted mining. How? If you find... that industry they are raw they are raw assets they are raw material the webinar we had today what we are we looking at we are looking at what we call closed markets within a loop creating a loop where your suppliers are close by so more like encourage you know in a particular so that your supply chain is within your vicinity and there women can play a lot of role women can play a lot of role in terms of value addition industries that are into hardwares in industries that are into softwares to service the mining industry so you can come up with because madame Edumak, for instance when you make your money in that sector where do you put the money into what do you expect there's a time you come to a peak you understand of a particular thing you must start looking on how to divest and those are what the men are doing so we must be bringing up and building up resilient women you understand who can divest your understanding to other things and say, oh, this sector, I want to go into this sector. That way, you understand, we can and bridge the gap. Because if any one or two months ago, precisely when we are calling to the TWG, before, when policies are coming up in the industry, women just read about it. But now there's hardly anything being done. Women in mining is like a voice for the women in the sector to say, no, wait a minute. You just have to carry women along. And you find out that the men are honestly cooperating now, trying to make sure that the women are there. So and I said, I said, no woman should come up and start talking about gender inequality or gender equality again, because the doors are open. It's for us to utilize that door. It's for us to take advantage. It's for us to take advantage of that system, you understand, and make sure that we close the window, that is we take advantage and walk into the doors. And how do we do that? We do that by making sure we have a deep understanding of the sectors we want to go into. We go into, I, I'm happy I met Ronke in one or such. This is a period of training. This is a period to gather as much knowledge as possible. Some of us are too reluctant to spend our data our money to acquire data. We prefer to buy all those things. There's a time to invest. And this period is a training period globally. You find out that there are so many free entrepreneurship courses even online. For me, I've done six, you understand, where you can acquire. And when you have that knowledge, you find out that that knowledge becomes useful somewhere. You must be able to open up yourself to be able to develop yourself. And in doing all those things, you find yourself becoming players. And you know what? Men are smart too. The moment you, and for those of you seated here, I know you must have encountered them. The moment they know that you are brilliant and you articulate, they defy respect to you. You understand? But when you want anything by virtue, don't you know I'm a woman? Honestly, myself, I detest it. You must earn whatever you need to get. You earn it through hard work. You earn it through knowledge. You earn it through your financial strength, your financial muscle. You shouldn't just sit down and say, oh, because I'm a woman, you should give me. No, I don't think so. You have to work for whatever you need to get. So young girls out there, the doors are open. Wimbis is a training ground. 
Then for specialization, if you want to do it, you have women in mining, you have women in oil and gas, you have, you know, women now, you know, women accountants, you have female, female lawyers, you have everything. And the advantage of all these things are peer, you know, peer, it's a peer to peer influence, where you're able to influence one another. Women in mining today, we have 18 chapters across the country. And I tell you that uh, if you get to Niger State here, you find there's a lady I call Mama Gold, you understand? In fact, the very first time I met her, I never knew she was that educated. Until I started seeing the proposals she was churning out and what she was doing. And go across the country like that, you find them, you understand. We might still not be that critical number, like I said, but there's hardly any states now. And then in terms of issuance of licenses, again, we are driving for policies, you understand, which makes the process extremely simple for women to acquire licenses. But more women are into that sector, more women are acquiring licenses. And if you don't want to go into mining at all, because of the hazards, because the truth of it is that there are hazards, just like in any other profession. There are, there are clean areas you can stay in mining, which is mineral trading. You can be a mineral trader, you understand where you are just trading and you are just turning around your money. And that puts, uh, that puts you in good stead too. So once again, like I said, some of us, the older generation, are determined to create a pipeline for the younger generation. So I wouldn't be talking about my accomplishment or whatever I've done, but rather than motivating the young ones, because honestly, when I see a young one thriving, a young lady doing well, I'm always so excited and God sees my soul. That is who I am. Because if you don't have the younger generation better and more accomplished than who you, who, who you are, then you are a total failure. Because I, I always joke with some of the girls. I said, when I sit in my house later at age 80, I want to be able to pick the phone call and reach any sector in this country and get whatever I want because the women will be at top. And I pray and look forward to that situation in life. So once again, thank you. Uh, Runka. Okay. Yes, I said, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes. Okay, as she was talking, the, what came to my mind is that no growth happens in your comfort ever, zone. Ever. As a woman, you must just be ready to stretch yourself. That you can see that if you just decide to see, uh, just to listen to what she has said and not take any action, nothing will get done. And there, this is a great time for every one of us to choose to grow, to choose to make changes. There is nothing that will change in your life if you do not change. That is a lesson that I have learned over the years. Thank you. you have to make that, you make that effort. I mean, that was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm gonna ask them to pop up the poll right now and then we're gonna see what everybody you know, decided concerning the questions we asked. Wimby Secretariat, let's go. Okay, what is your perception of business in a COVID-19 world? 77% of people said it's positive. Only 10% said it's negative and another 13% said doesn't make a difference. Second question, based on the recent happenings of the past few months, have you had concerns about your occupation or profession and financial future? 65% of women said yes, and 35% said no. I'm going to read the next set of questions. They're going to pop that up right now. And then we're going to ask that. And then I'm just going to give you a quick into of what um, Dr. Engineer Adeyemi just spoke about. 
So if we can just pop up the next um, poll questions. And while they're doing that, I'm just going to say a few things that run through my mind as you know, she was speaking. First and foremost, the audacity to take on challenges. Challenges bigger than you. If the challenge is your size or smaller than you, it's not a challenge. So look around you and look for challenges that are bigger. That's really where you can make impact. That's where you'll be solving problems. That's where people are going to be willing to put money on the table to get your solutions. And that's where you make the money you're going to invest for your better life. So we have to start thinking bigger and larger. And then we have to link our passion with our profession. We can't have profession on one side passion. We have to find a way to intertwine them. And it might not be so obvious from the beginning, but you have to keep your mind open and wait and watch out for that opportunity because opportunity will always come. Somebody's um, passion of marketing comes with an education opportunity, marries those two together, and then she's a groundbreaker. Somebody else has a passion for bottom of the pyramid people in, in medicine, in primary healthcare, a, a, an opportunity in managing a medical facility where she has her training comes up. Eventually, they cross paths and she's able to do the same thing. Same thing with Honorable Engineer Janet. She has a passion for people. She has a passion for making things in oil and gas, in engineering, in water. She eventually finds a way to bring those, marry those two things together by building a community and an ecosystem of women who are all interested in mining. And there you go. Chapters opening across the country, women who never thought of going into that business are beginning to investigate. And she's there as a mentor to many of these women with her engineering background and her age and her political background. She's able to help people, the public and the private together and the engineering thing to cement everything to give you leverage in that sector. So some other things I want us to think about as we are answering this poll. Sector specialization, understand your sector well. If you understand your sector well, you would know where the loopholes are and where the gaps. One of the things um, Honorable Engineer Ademi did not mention was the fact that she was first, she was one of the early women in the um, resource field, oil and gas. The men closed that sector. It was, was very male dominated. This time around, mining is just starting. They haven't genderized it. They haven't defined it yet. Let's jump in there now and make sure we, the women, are the majority. Let the men chase us in that space. Two, in, those, in the spaces where we are in, you can leverage your skills and your understanding of the sector in areas like tourism, in travel, in sector specialization, you know, bringing other people together. Mrs. Um, Honorable Engineer Day, I mean, only she went to a conference. It was a mining conference and she just had people talking about all kinds of different things and thought, why don't we have a group in Nigeria of women who can come together and do these sort of things? And that was the stimulus that set her on this path of setting up this group that she has now that has women in mining. So um, I don't know if everybody has answered the second poll. Please open up your mind, broaden your horizon, go out there and look for larger than life projects and look for collaboration, look for capacity building, take courses, reach out to the Wimby's family and find out how they can help you reach the pinnacle of these dreams that you have for yourself. So do we have the um, answers to the second poll yet? Before we go into our question and answers, we shouldn't forget to say a big thank you to Nigerian LNG 
and um, national the pension pension commission for allowing us have this fantastic afternoon. All the um, accolades that we are giving to them, so that more of you would come and support the things Wimbis is doing. And the answer to our second poll is: In which area of your life did you feel the most impact from COVID nineteen pandemic? Was it your finances, was it your health, or was it your social life? I have to tell you, you will not believe it. The first thing that people say is after them, their social life with 49% negotiations. Your social life is important. Next came finances at 43% and health at 8%. Thank you very much. Wimby's women, Nigerian women, we know how to do the work-life balance. We always have our health in the focus and that's good to see that only 8% of the people actually felt some impact from COVID in their pandemic. We do empathize with you. We hope you're feeling much better and upswing right now. We look forward to, you know, maybe running a similar poll at the end of the year and seeing that we have zero people impacted health-wise from COVID-19. Our second question was, do you have the necessary resources and skills that will give you a platform to thrive in the new normal? 74 people, 74 percent of the people say yes, and 26 percent of the people say no. Well, I'm hoping those 26 percent will reach out to the Wimby Secretariat and find out what packages, what courses, what capacity building opportunities there are, what areas where can you know can match them with funders or mentors or mentees, either which way, to make sure that they achieve this dream of having the necessary resources and skills that will give them a platform to thrive in this new normal. We find it might be technology skills you're lacking in, it might be having, having the knowledge of where and how to access finances to um, augment the business, you know, your finances because your business has taken a downturn. Or it might even be this very topic we're dealing with today. How do I develop? Who's going to help? hold my hand while I go on this journey. Please reach out to the Wimbys Secretariat. And if you're not a member of Wimbys, please join Wimbys. It's a lifesaver. Thank you very much. So I'm sure we're buzzing with questions and um, I'm going to give my patrons two minutes more each, just in case they forgot anything and they want to pass on one two messages of what you should be looking out for and what you should be doing after, immediately after this um, e-roundtable is over. So I'm going to go straight to Mrs. Ogunde, and then we'll go to um, Dr. Itunu, and then we'll come back to Honorable Engineer Adeyemi. So Mrs. Ogunde, a couple of things that you want these ladies to take away this afternoon. Okay, okay. thank you very much, Your mindset at this period, I believe, is very, very critical. It is very important. You have the choice. You need to make that decision within yourself that during this COVID period, I am going to come out stronger and better. It's such an intentional and personal thing. I mean, I've gone through all kinds of things during this period. There are days, especially the initial days, when I'll just sit down and I'll be crying alone in my room. And my doctor will come in and say, ah, what's wrong, mommy? Is it daddy? Is it this? Is it that? And I will just say, I'm crying about the whole world. But I just had to shake myself out of that. That was a face. And I began to see the opportunities. I discovered there were so many wonderful opportunities. I don't want to say that, uh, uh, that this, this COVID period, I, uh, I, I don't want to see it the other way. I had to see the positive side. I do a lot of trainings for schools because I'm a person 
skill coach and trainer with the, with the job Maxwell team. I had to create so many products to support the education sector. This has been one of the busiest times and most profitable time for me in a long while. Almost every, because it was as if that I could do so many things I'd been planning to do. I could set up my team the way I wanted. I could upgrade my staff so that they could, up, they could work remotely. Every one of us, we saw the danger. We saw that our business, if we are not careful, things may happen and everyone had to rise. It's been a, it's been a time that has been filled with challenges, but we just made up our mind and we say, you know what? This is going to be a great time, despite all the things going on in the world. And that's why your mindset is critical. All around you, there are opportunities. If only you open your mind. I, I mean, Honorable Adem said he's done six courses already. And that's so true because we all have the time. We can learn. We can become more. We can choose to do so many things. I've even set up a tribe even during this period. A tribe. I've done so many things that I am sitting down and I'm amazed that if I had to be going to the office eight to five or eight to six every day, I probably would not have been able to achieve that. Please embrace this period. Go around and see things that you can do. There is money to be made during COVID. Make Thank you. Somebody said ride the tide. Don't let the waves threaten you. Get on top of it and you know, ride the tide. Dr. Itunu. Right. Thank you. Um... And thank you very much. I'm going to take off from what you said about, you know, knowledge. I have a few um, parting words, so to speak. And that is the first one is knowledge and research. You see, every single day when you walk out of your house, there are many opportunities around you. But you need knowledge. You need to do the research to be able to identify an opportunity. There are many things going around. There are many big, businesses, successful businesses. The same people like you saw those opportunities, but they were positioned to identify them. And how do you identify opportunity? It is when you have knowledge, when you understand the structure of how things work, when you understand the need for something. And I'll give a very example. One of the things that we're doing now in terms of pivoting, specifically concerning COVID, that uh, recently we have just been um, announced as the only distributor of the largest hand sanitizer uh, provide, um, manufacturer in the whole world. The best sanitizer in the whole world, the highest quality, the highest value known everywhere. Medbury has just been, um, what's the word, um, appointed as their only distributor in Nigeria. That's something that's new. But that came how I sat down and I thought, COVID is about to happen. It's going to affect our current business. How do I pivot? But if I didn't have an understanding of what was going to happen in the industry, if I didn't have an understanding of the fact that, look, you are going to, people are going to have to increase the use of sanitizers and even understand where to go, who to speak to. And these were things we had done, I think, as early on as in, as in March. That's just an example. There is always opportunity around you, but you have to find a way to get it through knowledge and research. The second one is you need to take responsibility. Are you in whatever, whatever your hand finds to do, you need to do it well. You need to do it perfectly. You know why? 
Because there's, there's, there's a saying that goes, you will reap what you sow. It doesn't say you will reap where you sow. i give an example. You might be a front desk officer. The way you treated that managing director that you didn't even know was a managing director may be opening up a job for you tomorrow and opening up a totally new career path, but you don't know. You can sit and say, well, they don't treat us well in this place. They've not paid us in two months. Why would I be nice to the customer that comes? You know, you might be that person picking the phone. You don't know who is speaking to you and you don't know where your next opportunity is going to come. So you take responsibility. Whatever has been placed in your hands, do it like you are doing it. You are running your own business because one day is going to come and you are going to have to and somebody's going to work with you or for you, and you are going to expect the same from that person. Third is courage. Courage. You need courage to do anything you are ever going to do. Why not? Because well, something else Mandela said. He said something about being able to take the reins. Being able, why not you? That's what he said. Why not you? People ask, why me? Why not? Why can you not be that person you admire? Sit every day and come up with a plan, but you need to take the courage for that first step. Go there. What's the worst that can happen? They will say no. Not hasn't killed anybody. Ask the question. Take the first step. Be courageous. And the last thing is integrity. Integrity is currency. You can't play with it. When it was time for us to get into international partnerships, when it was time to, for us to get our big deals, it was integrity that brought it. It wasn't our marketing. It wasn't the way we were speaking. It was the word of mouth. It was because people said, who is the best person to work with in this industry? And people said, those guys will not take bribes. Those guys will not cheat you. Those guys, when they say they will do something, they will do it. That is currency. So I leave you with these things, knowledge and research. Take responsibility of whatever God has put in your hands or wherever you are. Take courage and always walk in integrity. Thank you so much. If you guys notice, the panelists, we've chosen panelists from three sectors. They're the three most critical sectors in Nigeria. Resource development, education, and healthcare. Those are the two things that we found out were in shambles when COVID started. All of a sudden, our children couldn't go to school. What are the options? We running helter skelter, trying to figure it out. Same thing with healthcare. We just couldn't reach people. Medical care was not at the level where primary healthcare could sort out the problem. And then resource development. That's where the entire economy finds its revenue from. The minute oil prices tanked, Nigeria was looking with their hands open, not knowing where the next meal was going to come from. So we haven't picked these three people a chance. We went out specifically to look at these three sectors that are very critical to Nigeria. And because they're in shambles and they're challenges, it's equivalent of saying that these are the industries and the sectors that have the most opportunities. If COVID came around a second time, God forbid, what are the things that you would have wished were in place in these three sectors? Those are where the needs are. Rural education. Education, as much as all the, all the children we know have laptops and, you know, could just switch on, do online schooling, I'm sure more than three quarters of Nigeria didn't have that same opportunity. So what are the things we need to do? Is it putting tablets in the hands of people? Is it finding how to create cheap tablets? Is it finding how to put um, education onto television, onto radio? What are the things that you suffered during the COVID 
pandemic. They are the things that need to be fixed. And you are the one that needs to fix it because that's where your next big three is. So I'm going to give the floor to Honorable Engineer Janet Adeyemi now to share her last words with us on what we need to be looking for and how we need to position ourselves going forward. Thank you, ma'am. Um, uh, could you please put your microphone on? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Hope you are hearing me. Yes, ma'am. I, I want to appreciate the, uh, the earlier speakers, and I think you've summed it up. The first thing I'll talk about in this generation is that focus is very critical. The, the young generation are so distracted by intangibles. You want to belong. And I want to sound a note of warning. You see, we are gradually forgetting the chastisements of our parents who are gone now because we are now your parents of the younger generation. When you are on level one and you want to live the lifestyle of level five, you will crash because already you are living a deficit life. And if you listen to a book, Awoshika, she says something. She said, analyze your spending and match it with your income. Once you start having a deficit, you can't even succeed in life, no matter the dreams, no matter what you do. If you, look, if you listen to the two, earlier two speakers, you could see humility. Humility, fear of God. You can't amount to anything thinking you can do it on your own. You need the presence of God in your life. And then pride, pride befalls a man. Most of us are too arrogant to ask, to seek knowledge. Give an inch, we want to quickly take a mile. You want to come into a space where somebody who has been operating for close to 40 years, and then you want to take over that space because of the little you know, you've not even gotten the nitty gritty, then what happens? So, but with humility, willingly, that person will pour out her life onto you to be able to succeed. So then I believe that if you look around, COVID had done something, it created the gaps in everything we do in life. For me, we have entered the fourth industrial revolution. And what will drive the fourth industrial revolution whether COVID, because there are so many theory, conspiracy theories around COVID, I won't bother us with the conspiracy theory, but we found ourselves, you understand, relying completely on digitalization, on ICT to be able to do anything. So that tells you that if you are not computer literate, you are a nobody. You must acquire knowledge by all means to be able to communicate with the rest of the world. Then in this fourth industrial revolution, in Africa, if, because if you follow the African Continental Trade Act, you'll find out that four critical areas are going to drive the economy. That's resources, agri and mining. Fossil fuel is gradually going. Electric cars are all over the place. Nobody wants to destroy the atmosphere again because of the green effect, because of the uh, effect of uh, the, the, the uh, climate. You understand? So climate change effect. So you find out that ICT resources, that's mining, uh, because mining will always be re relevant. Where will you get lithium? 
Now you have the REEs, you have the LREEs, you understand? So you have all those minerals. Because without them, you cannot drive your digitalization. You cannot drive ICT. So you need all those things to be able to move forward. If you are not there, functioning in that space, find a way to function in that space. And finally, I'll tell you that if you look at everything we have summed up today, and Mrs. Yinka Ogode cannot go and cover Bankemo in my town. You cannot go and cover Ulo in my town because we still don't have the infrastructure to get there. But the women, the young girls listening today, you could even start with lesson arrangements where you are organizing lesson. And that takes me back because when she was making her submission, I remembered when I was young, Mama Adioini Badamokola, the whole place was filled up and she was very rich because she was doing lessons. Look for a way of modernizing your own lesson and capturing the attention of those people. That's one sector for you. Digitalization, only only everybody nice on, you understand? Find a way of getting your goods to the market and nobody wants to go. And then young girls, long ago, a pregnant lady came to my office. She was working for Zenith and she was marketing. I said, what are you doing? You can make more money from those of your friends there. She started a crutch. She, have, she took to my advice. Today, she's one of the big players in, in that industry in Abuja. So look for gaps and see how you can fix it. Some of your friends will be deceiving you. They carry, they wear skirts, they do hair, they do everything and they go to office. Their take home at the end of the month is not what you will make in one week. You understand if you are really focused. So don't look on anything as dirty. Pick those dirty uh, jobs and see how you digitalize it. How you make, you know, you make them ICT compliant. Before you know it, you are smiling because your market will be wider and your income becomes better. So once again, I say congratulations to Wimbis. Any day, anytime I look forward, you know, to your platform. And we welcome all of you to the mining sector. Come and experience mineral trading. There's good money there. You all like to adorn your neck. You understand with jewelry. Come. There's Tijiri in Lagos who does very beautiful jewelry. There's Mrs. Olu, um, uh, what's her name now? Ogulesi. Uh, you understand? They make very, very beautiful jewelry. Eye popping jewelry. You understand? So meet them and you'll be surprised. I'm not advertising, I'm just encouraging the young girls to know that what we are saying is practical. There's a Nigerian girl in, the, in Dubai who does just customized jewelry, Zara. You understand? You see what she does. So they are all over the place. There's Mina Stones, we have them all over. So I wish you all the best. Look for it, something to do today. Immediately don't procrastinate. Procrastination destroys. Pick, lay your hands on something and do. And once again, I thank you. Thank you very much, ma'am. So um, I'll just ask the secretary to please pop on the message we have from one of our sponsors, Nigeria LNG. Thank you. And then we'll go straight into the question and answer session. Um, do we have a message from Nigerian LNG, please? Okay, do, we want, do you want us to go straight into the question and answer session and when you're ready? Oh, here we go.
Media LNG. Um, we're going to go straight into the Q&A now. And um, our very, one, of our very, one of the first things I want us to do to get out of the way is if um, Honorable Engineer Janet Adeyemi can please share all the details of how the organization, the Mining for Women organization can be um, contacted. Because there are, I'm sure, lots of women on the platform right now who are saying, you know what? I want to be a trader, I want to be a financier, I want to be a miner, I want to be a jewelry maker. I mean, they're too far. I want to do tourism, I want to bring people to the mines so that they can see the whole process. There's tourism, there's travel, there's everything in this in, embedded in this sector. So if you could please share with um, all the participants what the website is and how they can contact um, um, you or an officer from the organization for more information. So if that's possible, if you could please just um, share that with us in the chat box so that everybody can access that. And um, we have a question. How were you able to cope with customers? This is to Dr. Itunu, being that you are just new and fresh out of school. Did you refer clients to other hospitals or did you hire an expert? So that's one question for Dr. Itunu. Another question for you is, well done, how did you raise the funds you used to pay the hundreds of thousands and millions of naira that you used to purchase the facility. Eventually, did you get investors? Have you faced any challenges? Or has it been simple, plain sailing, or ups and downs? Or how has it been? Somebody wants to know a little bit more about that. Um, I'm trying to see if I can get all Dr. Itunu's questions all together so she can answer them. Um, many thanks to the present, to presenters and the organizations for putting this together. My question is to Dr. Itunu, how are you able to raise funds for the hospital? I think that's a very, very critical question. Um, what else do we have for Dr. Itunu? Um, I think that's about it for Dr. Itunu for now. So if she could just go ahead and answer those questions for us, we'd appreciate that. Thank you. All right, thanks. Simple, nada. <laughs> no such thing as simple, but worth it, yes. So um, whatever is worth doing is worth doing well, and whatever you're going to do, right? There will definitely be ups and downs every day, right? Sometimes myself and my husband have a running joke. We call new businesses one day, one trouble because you are waking up in the morning and you don't know what you are going to face that morning, right? So um, yeah, no, it hasn't been very simple, but we thank God, you know, it's been really worth it. But I'm going to go to the question, first of all, about financing and how we're able to raise it. And I'll, I'll first of all say a few things. First of all, capital is not only money. Understand this. A couple of people feel that, oh, that, you know, I'm going to come up with this beautiful business plan. I'm going to speak to some investors so I can raise series A and then series B and then series D, you know, get a, a, a side office, um, a corner, a corner office in Ikoi, you know all that. Sometimes, no, it's not like that. You have to prove yourself first. But let me start by saying again, or reiterate that financing and capital comes in different ways. Yes, cash is one of it, but relationships can be capital. You can leverage your relationships to achieve things you want in your business. And for those of us that started with a shoestring budget, which is like $2, and had no experience as to how to raise money, right? We have to leverage on our relationships to be able to get that. And I'll give you an example. Um, there were times that we needed to buy equipment. We needed people that could trust us to maybe put equipment into our facility and then trust us to pay them little by little. In that case, I didn't raise capital. I didn't get cash. However, I leveraged on my relationships and I leveraged on my integrity. That same equipment that I would have bought for millions of Naira, right? 
I bought it with capital, but not capital of cash, capital of relationships, capital of integrity, capital of trust. So you need to understand that before you start going around to say, oh, I want to raise capital. First of all, look at what you have in around you. Look at the relationship you have around you. Is there any other way in which I can generate this capital? For example, capital can come through something we call um, um, financing from your vendors, right? Such that you say to your vendor, okay, I'm going to pay you in 30 days or pay you in 60 days, right? While your, comp your client pays you in, say, 15 days. In that, guys, you don't have to go and, you know, say, in my own experience, you don't have to go and then um, raise money to buy drugs and then keep it on your shelf, right? So I'm not saying that you can't go the regular traditional way of raising money. What I'm saying that there are many other things that you need to look at also, when it comes to financing, you need to be sure that you are getting money at the right time. You are not getting money too early into your business and sell everything off, or you are not getting early uh, money too late. So those are, first of all, nuggets. Now, to the real question as to how we have raised funds. Yes, we have, and we've done it in stages. And I will say it here. If somebody gave me all the money I needed when I started, I probably would have wasted it. And I need to be honest with myself. Because at that time, I wasn't yet as a seasoned business person. But what did I get at that time? I got family and friends. So we've gone through about three rounds. We are about, we're in the fourth round now and I'll explain it of financing. The first round was just simple young doctors, well, slightly older than myself that were interested in what I was doing, believed in my passion and me people a little bit of money into the business. It wasn't a lot. It was still a lot of shoestrings and all that. Okay, we need money for running costs. We need money to pay the rent. We need money to do this and that. You know, go and work. And then, you know, when they got their salaries, they put some money into the business. That was my first introduction into capital. And I thank God for it because if I got the capital that I would have thought I wanted at the time, I probably wouldn't have used it well. But that allowed us to go to the next level. The next level of raising finances for us, after we had used the little that was given to us, to get to a point where someone who was well-meaning, somebody who was, um, a, was interested in investing in Nigerian businesses, saw us and saw that saw what we had built, and we had built some competence, capacity, and it was obvious that if they put money in our business, they will not lose it. Then we got somebody else to invest in that business. After some time, that person exited, and I must say that everybody who has come in and has exited to the glory of God have all exited, you know, getting without making any losses, and we are very grateful to God for that, you know, and when it was time, another PE firm then came in, and then you know, then put some money in our business. Again, it was in stages. It wasn't like, okay, I have this great idea, but I don't have money to do it. No, we started with what we had. And, we, and as our business has grown from stage to stage, so is the financing. And I thank God now, because right now, the financing level that we are on now is talking to international partners. We are no longer, now, now we've built our brand and our business and continue to, you know, take the stages of financing such that the interest that we are now getting in terms of, financing are now coming from big multinational organizations that do what we do across the world and are interested in coming into Nigeria. So it was a stage-wise, step-wise process. It wasn't just like, you know, I want a billion dollars and I'm going to get it. No, it wasn't like that at all for us. Um, so I hope that answers that question. Now, when it comes to uh, the first question around, did I have to hire an expert? Look, you need to be innovative. And just thinking about it, there's so many innovative things that we've had to do. So we looked, again, we looked at what we had. We had a facility 
the facility was beautiful, right? And it was in a good location. So I went to some of my um, colleagues, senior colleagues, which is also, as I said, integrity and relationships are capital. And I went to them and I said, look, you're a cardiologist. Oh, look, you are a, you know, you are an occupational health physician. You have this, but I have a facility. Can we, can you bring people in? Can you use my facility and let us share profits? I don't have money to pay you. Those were the kinds of things that we did initially. We got to a point where we, we, we got, um, um, what's it called? Some of the rooms in our hospital, some of the rooms in the facility, we were renting them out to people that were credible, right? Just to be able to raise funds that way, keep the business going that way until we got into a point where we could do things ourselves, where we could hire more people ourselves. Again, I'll say something here. The quality of your people is the quality of your business. You always need to strive to get the best people. So yes, we needed experts at the time. So we found those people, but instead of paying them because we didn't have the cash, we came into innovative agreements until we got to a point now that we can now hire people that we can afford. I think that, um, I hope that answers, I think, Thank those questions. Thank you so much, Ituno. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm just going to dash very quickly to Mrs. Ogunde. And I have four questions for you. Um, somebody is interested in specialized training for infant teachers and wants to know what you have in that space. Then how do you digitalize a business? And this person is in the fashion industry and said it's not easy to get funds and you seem to be doing a lot of things online that you've, you know, the skill from skills you've acquired that you've leveraged over this COVID period. Somebody wants to know how to start exploiting e-commerce and um, digitalization of their business. Another thing is how do you move from HR to education? This person sounds like she needs handholding and might need you to mentor her. So please, if you'd like to share some things about that. And the last question for you is, can you please share some of the products? Because some people don't quite understand what you do in education. So, you know, some of the fairs you have and trainings you do, okay. if you could please share some of it with our audience. Okay, thank you very much, Ronke. The first one on the training. Yes, certainly we... We collaborate with organizations to, uh, to put together training programs for the education sector. You'll need to get in touch with us so that we will know what you have. And then we will agree on how that will work. So whether we are going to help you to put it together as a solo event for you by yourself or you, come to, uh, or you partner with EduMark to do that, they, well, you'll need to get in touch with us. I'm sure that... Um, I mean, Wimby's has data, so they can always do that at any time. Or you can also send an email to us, info at edumacng.com. That's on the training. And then on the e the you know, this is what I'm, uh, I'm glad that Ituna shared quite a number of experiences and, uh, and things like that in there. You need to do your groundwork on what you want to do. You need to be ready to know. I found out something also that Google is your friend, true. YouTube is your friend, is true. Even if you don't have money for anything, you will sit down in front of in, in front of your system and you learn. At least it will give you a basic idea. And that was what I had to do. Because at the time the pandemic started, a lot of the things that we needed to do to get online, we really didn't know how to. Nobody could come to your house to come and teach you. 
Members of staff could not say they were coming to visit you to show madam how to do things. What did I begin to do? I began to do the research myself, trial and error. You get it, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. You put your laptop on yourself, you, give, you Google the thing, you come up with various options. You register for various courses. In fact, I can't tell you the number of courses I registered for even during this time. Some fully paid, some non-paid, some I couldn't. At the time, I became a bit overwhelmed. I said, okay, yes, I know I've paid, but now I need to now structure what I need at, uh, amongst all this. And you can imagine that. Because I knew that the next stage is not going to be a stage that you can proceed into without knowledge. Knowledge is power. It helps you to make the right decision. The e-commerce sector, whatever you need to do in terms of technology, you can teach yourself. Apart from teaching yourself, ask questions. Don't be afraid of asking questions. Don't be afraid for seeking mentors. Of course, at my age, my mentors in ICT, they're much younger than I am. They will laugh at some of the things I will ask them, whether it's stupid or ridiculous, but at least I'm tapping from them. I'm saying, okay, sit, sit down. You, I mean, you guys, you guys, just tell me. Let me know what needs to be done. At the time they're saying all, all of those, even though I don't understand some of the terminologies, I put that terminology down. Guess what I will do? I will go and Google it and I will understand more about that, tech, about that terminology because I know that that's the only way I can conquer the next stage. That is the only way I can prevent myself from becoming a dinosaur. I am operating within the education sector. It's a se sector that so is witnessing such dramatic changes that you will need to move along with it in order, to, in order to be able to design solutions for them. So that was one of the things I had to start doing. Look, getting to understand things I never thought I could. Because I remember that two years ago, when we put up the first edition of our, of our technology show, we called it Tose Tech. At that time, it was at the Sheraton Hotel. And some people came and they were talking about school without borders. They were talking about schools with no physical structures. And all of us, we looked at ourselves. I can remember all the school owners and everybody. We looked at ourselves and smiled and said, funny people. We just used our hands to dismiss that. Here we are two years later. We are in the COVID era. All the things that we were talking about at that time. We are now living through it. Everybody had to start embracing technology. So that's why I would suggest that in terms of that, please get online, get the right people to speak. There's so many young ones now that can teach you a lot of things. And through that, you will be able to determine the way forward for your business. One thing you have going for you, you know your best more than any other person. But you now need extra skill in order to navigate the course of business post-COVID, in order to allow you to, to pivot, in order to allow you to make the right changes. That's why you need to acquire that knowledge. The next one is the one that wants to move from HR to education. Yes, there are many opportunities within the education sector. It all depends on what you want to do. But first of all, 
I think somebody said it earlier. I can't remember whether it was Honorable Adeyemi or, or Ronke that said it, that you must be passionate. You must have the passion for whatever you want to do. If you are not passionate about it, some things, somewhere along the line, you will find yourself giving up. Somewhere along the line, you will find yourself telling yourself that this is not worthwhile. For me, I found my niche. For me, I found something that I enjoy. For me, I found something I could do without being paid. And I've been able through that to actually add value to the sector. I know somebody asked in the final question, what do you actually do at, at Eduma? That's a very interesting question. We got into the sector. Initially, the whole idea, what we had in mind, was just to provide marketing communication services for schools. Just the same thing we do in the field of advertising, help them to advertise their schools, help them to get it to know. But we found that it was different. What they needed at that time was different. And then we began. We had the EduMark training arm. We saw that there was another opportunity that when People who produce so many things for the education sector—they wanted to get—they want to get it across to the to to the to the sector. How do they get it done? I said, "What the heck? This can be done. We can do that." I remember that it was the, um, the it was the UK trade and uh, tra UK trade UK TIA, UK trade and investment. They took me on an education. Uh, they took me to UK for an education show, and I went around there and I saw so many Nigerians. That was about twelve or thirteen years ago, and I saw them all over the place. I said, "You guys?" They said, "Yes, we come here every year." I said, "We can do this in Nigeria," and that was how we created the Total School Support Seminar and Exhibition. We call it TOSI. We have been running it now for twelve years. It's the biggest education show in Africa at the moment. The closest to it is the one they do in South Africa. We record over 7,000 to 8,000 visitors in two days, over 800 exhibitors from five or six countries. We are not yet there at all, but we are already utilizing the biggest education space at the biggest event center in Lagos at the moment to stage it. Of course, if you get a bigger space, we are ready to move there. That's just one of the programs we do. We categorize our services. We categorize the education sector into parents, into students, into teachers, and into suppliers. And we created products across every of this, every of this um, uh, particular groups. So that's why we have a very robust offering. So anyone that wants to be mentored, Anyone that wants to come into the sector, especially coming from Wimbis, I am prepared and ready at any time to have discussions and to guide you into the sector. Thank so, you so it's a it's a whole new set. Let me say this before I before I before I round up. I think it's new also the ability to be able to see into the in the future, wherever you're operating is hospital. A few years ago, I created a, a group on Facebook. The thing, it was, I just looked at it, that the marketing communication questions, I want to be where the people are. I can't outside where the people are. At the time, you just think, what are you spending your time? 
doing. That group today is the biggest education group in focus, education focus in Nigeria with over 186,000 members. And over 186,000 members. And through that group, we were able to I haven't even heard of one. My name is 101, 102. Uh, maybe you're going to partner with Mrs. Ogunde to start running courses for people who are men in, a mine, in the mining sector, but people want to know the rudimentaries of it and on, you know, an understanding of what the different sectors or different opportunities are within the sector. So please, if you could talk on that a bit. And then the trading, how much does it cost to start trading? Who does it? Who can this um, shadow? Who can mentor them? People want to know about that as well. And um, where is the platform to meet you or other women who are in mining that are women? And then um, there's another question. Somebody wants to know how you can help them uh, talk to women about gender issues in the workplace and compromise. Because, I mean, this is something that you started so early when, you know, it was, uh, you had to be quiet about um, gender biases. Things have changed and progressed, but it's still very much an issue that's raging in a lot of sectors not just the mining or extractive industry. And um, somebody wants to know how to go about managing the women in their industry and their business to protect them and prepare them for such things and so that they are better equipped to handle such incidences. And last but not the least, um, oh, somebody wants to know about the cost of going into um, trading and mineral um, resource businesses. So if you could just touch on some of those things Can you put your microphone on, ma'am? We still can't hear you. Runka. Yes, ma'am. The way you, you uh, dished out, the way you dished out, are you hearing? Yes, ma'am. I said the way, the way you dished out the questions. <laughs> So whichever one I remember, I will just... I'll remind you of the ones you don't catch, Ma. Uh, <laughs> the first thing is that uh, I will talk generally about the opportunities in the sector. Please, excuse me, let me just take this one Please, away. Excuse me, let me just take this one away. No, when you don't want no, when you don't want to miss out, out, so, miss I out, out so I make sure I have two systems. Well, the thing is that the thing is that pick this one out. The the sector is a community on its own. Are you listening? Yes, Are you yes, hearing? The sector is a community on its own. Everything in life you find in mining, from running a restaurant. To being a housewife, to being a professional, to being a mother, to be a service provider, to be a consultant in any field, everything is in mining as a community. So that means any human being can work in the mining sector. Any human being. So in the mining sector, you have issues to do with gender. You are looking at social inclusion issues, issue of environment. Now we are talking about the guest plan. What is the guest plan? The guest plan is talking about gender, uh, equality, equity, social inclusion. 
you are looking at various policies you want to drive, even the educational sector, because there are issues. Because you can't go to a community and plunder a community. You are talking about sustainability issues in the sector. So you find that, that diverse consultants can work in the sector. It's a question of just tuning whatever degree you have, you understand, in that area, by aligning it, you understand, in that area. Doctors, for instance, let me tell you to know, when we had the lead zinc poison, we had doctors who came in and they, today they have centers all over Zamfara and Co. That's Doctors Without Border. Something, something Francais. You know, I don't know how to, I don't want to blow my, my <laughs> French here. So we're there. So doctors, we always have a kind of intervening policy. So you can always look into that sector. You can do a research and say, oh, they are mining gold. Yeah, cardium is poisoning them. You want to do your research to find out what is happening. And by the time you come up with, a, with a cogent points, people will listen to you and solutions to it. You are talking about lawyers. Also, what I'm just trying to say is a diverse profession. But how do you get into the sector? Getting into the sector is very simple. That's why women in mining is out there. And women in mining, to the glory of God today, has developed a very strong linear structure. That is, in West Africa, we have what we call women in mining in West Africa, Wimowa. Then in Africa, we have what we call African women in mining, and then international women in mining. And so it's a linear structure like that. You cannot become, you cannot be a, me a member of Wimowa if you are not a member of women in mining. Everything and everything has to do because of the way the organization is structured, because it requires a lot of training, a lot of capacity building. You don't want to, you don't want to put people out there. You understand who will be devastating and destroying the environment. You want to be able to hold them accountable, because accountability matters so much in the sector. So that is about that. So if you want to join women in mining, I already have the contacts out there. Then we are www.wng.org. And then you can always reach me. My, uh, my telephone number is out there. Right now, I'm in the office, women in mining office, and I'm speaking to you from there. So you can always contact us, and then we put you through. Then in terms of training, yes, there are so many. Basically, you know, like I told you, you have a first degree. And then there are all other things you learn on the streets. We are about starting what we call the She Series. We've done two already. You understand? That's what uh, digitalization, ICT is helping us to do. So we build up capacity and now we are taking it to the rudimentary. Because if you want, there are some areas of mining that you just have to understand. If you want to go into mineral trading, for instance, I'll make, friend, I'll make, I'll, I'll make gist of my friend, I'm sure she'll be hearing now. She's a director in CBN. She went to Australia and they sold her salt, but she thought she came home with a very prime mineral resource. You understand? So when she so she got this, she got that. So I, this is salt now. You understand? So and in every country there are dupes. So you must understand the crystallography, understand the physical features, understand the uh, the chemical features, and be able to ascertain all these things before you go into them. Then if you are going into gemstone industry, which is one women always like, women like rubies, women like sapphire, women like amethyst, women like all those beautiful stones. And those stones are quite very expensive because they are the luxurious end of these things. Again, you have to understand. Then you have to know what you are buying. There's a way you test these things when you look at the crystallography. So it's very important you understand. So mentoring too is essentially very important in that sector. You need to move. And that is why it's good for you to be in a group. In a group, you could have even 
some stones and somebody else is looking for something else. You can always chat to your friend and say, oh, please, you have sapphire. You understand? Oh, I have gold. You know, how much is it? What do you want to do? And then you just exchange ideas and collaborate, you know, just like in any other sector. So those are some of the things. If I, maybe if I, if you pop up some other questions, maybe about those are the things I call. So you were ask, bombarding me with all the questions. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. So bombarding you. I just have one more thing that um, people have asked that we haven't mentioned. Um, what is the threshold, financial threshold for entry into the industry? Women want to know that is it a million dollar entry point so they'll know if they can afford it or not. So I think it will know how much on that. And I want to discourage women from ever thinking of money. What drives anybody in any sector is integrity. Integrity, humility, and character. Once you have that, you can play in any sector, forget about it. Mining is capital intensive because the mining cycle itself, if you want to go into me, because mining, there are eight phases of mining. You have what we call reconnaissance survey. You have what you now call, after your reconnaissance survey, you go into your exploration. After exploration, you do your reserve estimates, then you go into your exploration, you go into exploitation, you go into your processing, and any possible value chain addition. So from point A to the exit, you know it's capital intensive. And no player plays in all. You decide on which side you want to be. And you know it's possible if you have integrity. For instance, for my sisters that have just spoken, I just want to give you an idea. Okay. Now you have, uh, you are in the education sector and you've posted some very good, something, you have good relationships across. You could woo some of your partners. Everybody wants to diversify. And as long as man is alive, man is always looking for more. Man is, man is always looking for more money. You know, you can tell them, oh, we have this sector we want to do. Let's explore. Let's see the opportunities in the sector. And then you go into that sector and see what is happening in that sector. So for me, I don't like talking about money because when I talk about the money, you'll be frightened because money, access to funds is still a challenge. But you know that BOI has been doing well. We found one or two women whom BOI gave good money, you know, and they bought good equipment, you understand, to back and support whatever they are doing, just like in any other sector. So my own advice is that the first thing is for you to understand, take interest in the sector, because I was reading some of the charts, you know, which, which is uh, cross-cutting, some of the questions people are putting up. The first thing is for you to understand, understand knowledge. Go and first of all, read about this sector. When you read about this sector, because I read a young lady who said, uh, I have heard what uh, Mrs. Ogunde said, I have passion, but I don't, if you have passion, you won't even know that anything can stop you. Your passion, that means your passion is not yet there. If you have passion, nothing stops you. For me, I don't believe anybody can stop me in anything I want to do, except I don't want to do it. So if you have passion, that thing is first of all, gather all the information you can gather, map up your strategy, drive out your strategy on it, have a plan. Then after that, you start looking, who is this? Who is this? Incidentally, the banking sector don't know much about uh, mining yet in the country because it's relative, you know, we abandoned mining since the 50s, you know, to start to pick it up all over. But even at that, if you go on the internet, you find it is awash with people, you understand, looking for one thing or the other to do in the mining sector. Just like you have con men, which are equally one way, but just like you have con men all over, you just don't tumble and fall into it. That sector is a sector where you need to discuss with people. That sector is a sector where you have to, uh, to identify technical experts. 
you know, that can, you can work with till you build up your own expertise, you understand, in the field you want to be, you want to be in. And then there are some institutions, like if you want to go into gemstone marketing and things like that, GIA is a very expensive course because mining puts money on your table. That's what it's a small ounce of gold like this, you know how much it is selling, so you can Google, let me not um, <laughs> make noise here. So you know what it is, or you can, or you get Ruby, or you saw that man that got that diamond. You know what? It, or you know what? It, so it's it's not a place for when you hit it, you hit it. So the most important thing for you is to understand the process, and then for professionals, you know, it can be a second stream. I keep on telling people. For example, if you are into sciences, who says you cannot go into environmental sciences? You know, that is just your environmental science and be a consultant in the sector where you're in. Then uh, a social scientist, you have lots of gender issues, you have lots of child issues, and you know that globally, you understand that when it comes to tracking and tracing, you can't put on any 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 goal, any gold, and you're not, you can't put it on and not identify the source where the raw materials come from. Now, so there's tracking there, so and uh, so for all these things, it has. You need experts to be on the field, you know, to be able to say this is where this is coming from, this is where this is coming from. So for, for young professionals, you understand it's an alternative stream of income where you can actually sit down. And before you know it, you will find out that it could displace your primary source of income because you get more attracted or more grounded in that sector by the time you understand the sector. So for me, what I'll say is that, like I said, my own joy as long as there's breath in me, is to create a pipeline. And we are doing it and we are raising, I'll tell you that I have a lady, very, very brilliant, very, very versatile. When I go to conferences, I discovered her in Lagos there. Today, I remember her first uh, activity in the mining sector. I said, you know, you can, you can speak on this. You said, and I said, go on the internet and read and apply what you've been doing in other sectors. And you will be surprised that when she made her presentation, everybody was just, wow, where was she coming from? Even throwing in more technical uh, languages, which she has acquired in, in her other sector, you understand, into this new sector. So there's no closed door anywhere. I want to encourage us all that. If you don't peep into a sector to understand the sector, you can't know much. And then I like when I saw the respondent thing from Lagos. I know you people are only 5G in Lagos. Yeah, but that 5G period, this period is a period the world, to me, I tell people, I said, God chose to reset the world. When people say the world will collapse, it's something we are, mm -hmm. God has reset it. This is the resetting period. This period should not be wasted. This is the point, this is the time to acquire new knowledge. So we must spend more time studying. We must spend more time reading, researching about new things we want to do because there must be a shift, a paradigm shift, you know, from most of the things we used to do before, because those things we are, even medicine, medicine, who goes to a doctor now? My family is in the US and I know that during that period of, you know, telemedicine, who goes to a doctor? You talk to and then the thing tells you this is what to do and then you go to the chemist and collect your drug. So if you are a doctor who don't even know how to use a, uh, use a software, how do you, you understand, you are lost. You are no longer relevant. And over time, I can tell you that nobody will need a doctor. You understand? Because you can go to the internet you know, and put all the symptoms and put and the prescription will come up. So what we'll be needing doctors for will be what? Maybe surgery. And even for surgery, we've started having robotic, isn't it? That will be so precise. We need to change ourselves. 
we need yes, to ma'am. look at alternatives. And so my own word is that don't be afraid. Don't let any name, like, oh, this sector. When a man tells you one sector is masculinized, are you, well, well and you, the next thing you should say, and so what? You understand? As long as you can cope. So I wish us all the Thank best. Thank you very much, Honorable Engineer Adeyemi. God bless you, ma'am. Um, we're going to have some very important information to pass on to you. But first of all, I have to give the floor to one of our sponsors, First, um, First Pension Custodian. I want to introduce to you Mr. Dauda Ahmed, and he's the Assistant General Manager from National Pensions Commission. Can he please have the floor? Thank you so much. Mr. Ahmed. Um, can you put your um, microphone on, please? Hello? Ms. Ahmed, can we just have your microphone on? You're muted. Hello? Can somebody please try and reach Mr. Ahmed to let him know he's still muted? Or if you can unmute him from the secretariat. Business center. Or our own machine. Um, okay, um, can somebody please reach him? And in the meantime, I probably would have to just start doing my, my announcements. This one in our business center now. Any luck? Okay, um, I'll just start oh, yes. you know, the announcements pending when we're getting back on. An evaluation link will be sent to you all in the following, you know, in a follow-up email from the Wimby's office. If you could please, please, please fill out this um, evaluation link. It's going to really help us. And we want to know what your opinion is about this um, e-roundtable we've had. We want to invite our participants who are not yet members of Wimby's to please join Wimby's. The link for the Wimby's um, platform um, joining is going to be made available. And um, those of us who are associates, please don't forget to pay your dues. I know it's COVID year and none of you have visited the Secretariat, but work is going on and we've been very, very busy. And there's still so much going on before the end of the year. We have our 19th annual conference scheduled to hold virtually. It's our very first virtual conference on um, Friday, November 6th. And the registration fee is a paltry sum of 32,500. You're going to miss those wonderful meals at the co-hotel. And we're not going to see all the gaily dressed women looking beautiful and, you know, no high fives and selfies and whatnot, but we're still going to have the conference. So please, please, please get on the conference at wimbiz.org um, email and um, please let them know if you have any inquiries. We look forward to you participating. So please, please don't miss it. It's Wimbiz's first ever virtual conference. And we hope that you've enjoyed this session. We look forward to having you on all our other sessions. And please hold on and let's see if we can get um, Mr. Ahmed back on. Have we had any luck with him? Still thanking our sponsors. No, ma'am. Nigeria LNG and First Pensions Custodian are wonderful speakers. They've been awesome. I mean, they've really poured out their hearts and their minds and they've condensed years and years and tons of experience for you in this past hour and a half. And I hope we're going to get a lot of testimonials from this experience that you've had this afternoon. Because even I am beginning to think 
you know, of some things that I can do even in my space. I can organize conferences, I can bring together women, I can organize more trainings. There's so much out there to do. And um, I think we should all explore one or two opportunities. If we get caught up and we're not able to execute them fully, reach out to the Wimby's office, find out how they can hook you up with mentors, help you build capacity, help you access financing and other resources that you would need to take these dreams you have to fruition. Any luck with Mr. Ahmed? Hello, can you hear me now? Oh, fantastic. We're glad to hear you, Mr. Ahmed. Yes, Thank you very much. I've been trying to get through to you all this while. Oh, fantastic. I'm glad you're on now. So, Thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. So I will just go straight ahead. I know I've taken a lot of time so that I don't take so much of your time during the presentation. I want to reintroduce myself. My name is Daud Ahmed from the National Pension Commission. Um, for those of us who might not know, the National Pension Commission is the regulator and supervisor of the a new pension industry in Nigeria. It covers, it regulates all pension matters in Nigeria. And still to remind us, as of 2004, Nigeria transited from a different kind of pension arrangement to a contributory pension scheme. And new players were introduced into the picture. Prominent amongst them is, of course, the commission as the regulator, the pension fund administrators, and the pension fund custodians, of which first pension custodians is one of uh, them. What are their specific roles? Income, the regulator, the pension fund administrator, as the name implies, administers all pension matters for on behalf of his clients. Custodian, of course, from the name, it implies that they keep custody of pension assets. So there is a clear demarcation and clear rules that have been identified for each of the players. Now, who are supposed to participate in the scheme? Mandatorily, several players have been identified who are mandatorily required. Prominent amongst them is all public sector workers and then private sector workers for those who are employed in organizations having minimum of three. So that's, this is the whole uh, description of the people who are employers, employees rather, who are expected to be mandatorily to be part of the scheme. And as the name implies, it's a contributory scheme, meaning that both the employer and the employee get to contribute towards the pension uh, uh, benefits when they eventually get to retire. Then what about a greater, if you look at the demography, for those who are mandatorily supposed to be part of the scheme, it's a very small number probably about, let's say, maximum about 15 million. We have a working population, several estimates ranging 80 million, 100 million. So there is a large number of individuals out there who do not have any pension arrangement, who are not covered. But thankfully, the Pension Reform Act of 2004 and the, its own, and the new Act of 2014 indicated that there will be for those who are in the informal sector, for those who are self-employed, and for those who are employing less than three organizations, that is, they can participate in the scheme, but on a voluntary basis. So coming back to our topic, it covers this particular category of identified, the self-employed persons and employees of organizations with less than three staff. How can they participate in this scheme? We've indicated 
we've coined it as a micro pension plan. Or basically, it's more of a personal pension plan for this category of individuals who are not mandatorily covered by the scheme. So how can they participate? How, can, how does this micro pension plan work? There is the aspect of registration. You, an individual who is interested, who falls within that category I've identified, will have to register with the pension fund administrator of his choice. There are 21 pension fund administrators in, currently in Nigeria that are licensed by the National Pension Commission to uh, administer pensions in Nigeria. So a prospective micro pension participant who register with any of the pension fund administrators of his choice. A minimum age of the prospective participant under micro pension plan is 18 years, obviously. Now, how do you contribute? For this category of people, because it is not mandatory for them, it has been made flexible. Why the need for flexibility is because of the characteristics of this individual. They do not rely to a large extent on the monthly salary. So you cannot tie it to uh, when they get paid in terms of uh, as a monthly wage. So the contributions could be made on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, or even on a monthly basis. As long as he's able to put something aside, if you have X that he may want to keep away towards meeting his pension obligation, where he is no longer able to work. Now, an interesting feature of this, because it's not mandatory, is the contributions are split into two. There is a portion that is retained primarily for to make recourse with savings from time to time. So that individual could go to the contingent portion, which is 40% of any contribution that he makes, whether it's a weekly, on a weekly basis or on a daily basis or even on a monthly basis. He could go into his savings and then draw down on the 40% contingent withdrawal. This is very important because, as I said, we recognize that individuals may want, for this particular group of individuals, they may want to make recourse to their savings. And you cannot tie it up exclusively, even though that is the main purpose for these savings, for you to save towards when you are unable to work, that you have something to fall back on. Then how do you draw down? Aside from the contingent withdrawal, the 60% that is retained for our managed exclusive or pension, you could draw down when you reach the age of 50, as an example. Or you could delay it until you are whatever age when you are above 50 years. How would you be able to draw down on it? Of course, it will have been invested by the pension fund administrator. There will be returns on investments on it. And together with the contributions you've made, you can be able to draw down. There are two ways in which you can be able to draw down. Because it is pensions, you could decide to stay with the pension fund administrator and do what we term a programmed withdrawal, which is based on life expectancy or a projected lifespan. And, or you could go to annuity, which is an insurance product that will also guarantee you certain payments uh, progressively until you eventually die. And within that, for each of the two options, you could decide to have also a lump sum upfront out of your total savings and then the rest you can be able to spread to be given periodic payments up to uh, the rest of your life. So these are the 
various stages through which you can go and how the micro pension plan works. Important to highlight is the fact that this is a plan that is meant for the individual. It's a personal pension plan and it's an opportunity for individuals to be able to save on small num amounts given the frequency that we've highlighted, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, that you can keep something aside in, on a periodic basis. And before you know it, you'll be surprised at what you're able to save. And of course, it's being invested. I think a, an important question that people might ask is how safe are these funds? Now, I've explained to us that there are three entities that have been created by the commission that is responsible for ensuring that there is a level playing field and all players play based on the rules that have been set by the commission. And the pension fund administrators who basically manage your accounts. And I forgot to mention that it is individualized, it is personalized, just akin to your bank account, you can be able to check whatever balances that you have at any time, whatever any payments are made into the account, you can be able to keep track of it. Transparency is very important for uh, this industry and we cherish it. Now, what are some of the benefits that will accrue to an individual who joins this? I've mentioned it's an opportunity for individuals to save for benefit payments at old age. It's, uh, need to reiterate, it's a personal pension plan. It is uh, at your evolution that we want to come in and the primarily whatever savings you are going to make is towards meeting your pension obligations or Make, uh, pay, uh, getting payments when eventually you stop, uh, decide to stop working or when you age. Uh, these pension contributions are invested by the pension fund administrators. We have strict rules and asset classes where these PFAs can be able to make investment decisions on our behalf. And of course, there are returns on investment. What you try, strive to achieve is to ensure that the returns are above uh, inflation rate of inflation, so that we'll have real returns on our investment. And importantly to note that these pension contributions are returns on investment are tax exempt. So there is every incentive for one to be able to keep this, uh, to save towards meeting uh, benefit payments when someone reaches old age. Part of the benefits that we're envisaging has to do, has to do with incentives because it's very difficult for individuals to take a conscious effort, voluntarily, to save the long haul. So what we're looking at is, okay, what incentives can we bundle with this micro pension plan that will ensure that individuals will be able to save? There is what we call the minimum pension guarantee, which is a feature of the contributory pension scheme that would allow, subject to individuals meeting certain conditions, based on number of uh, months of contribution and even the amount that you eventually contribute to enable you to meet certain, just akin to a minimum wage that will ensure that individuals who save and meet certain requirements thresholds would, be, would benefit, uh, would have a minimum pension at the end of the day. You could also bundle it with medical services so that some arrangements could be made with uh, uh, for instance, the National Health Insurance Scheme, as just an example, PFS are allowed to come up with uh, different 
activities or different incentives that will ensure that individuals get to uh, subscribe to the scheme. So these are a few aspects I've mentioned of the scheme. And um, I will await further questions for individuals so that I can be able to elaborate more given the time that we have. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much. I mean, that was nice and brief. I, on behalf of some of the women out there, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. First and foremost, we hear that the Nigerian Naira depreciates yearly by 15%. So how are you going to give us returns of above 15% to guarantee that our money is growing? I mean, we've had a lot of stories of, you know, pythons swallowing money and things, you know, we don't want to get old. And then um, we now realize that uh, our hard end and saved funds have disappeared. Is it securitized? Is it um, is NDIT insuring the funds with you? How, what sort of comfort are you going to give us on that note? And for example, I mean, I'm sure this would appeal to a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. What if we're already 50? What can we do? Okay. Okay, let me just take each in turn. Concerning, I, I, I mentioned in my presentation, uh, we strive as much as possible to ensure that returns on investments are, are positive, real, uh, slight above inflation, if possible. If you look at the trend over the years, we've just slightly at the level of the rate of inflation on average. So you might say we've tried a little bit, but the issue is in the, an economy such as, as ours, where there is, you cannot outperform the market. But what we try to do as much as possible is to ensure that risks are minimized. And how do we do that? We have our investment regulations that specifies asset, what asset classes that should be invested in, what are the limits that in the, the PFS can, in terms of uh, global limits for each asset class, and even per issuer limits, and even quality of even the instruments. They must meet certain thresholds before you can invest in them. For different asset classes, we have different global limits. For those that are highly risky, for instance, the, the capital market, we limit exposure to such asset classes as much as possible. We are also, for us to also uh, mitigate against fluctuations in terms of uh, uh, the economic indices within the country, for instance, rate of inflation is climbing. How do we mitigate against that? There is the aspect in which pension funds can be invested externally overseas. And that is one way also we can be, even though we have not explored it yet, uh, but that is one way in which we can be able to mitigate against uh, uh, fluctuation within the, uh, the country. Um, again, in terms of safety, I will need to reiterate, this is a highly regulated industry. Even the areas where, as I said, PFS can make investment, is they can't just decide we are going to make investments in this particular asset class. It must meet certain requirements. And they are astute investors. And we also monitor these investments practically on a daily basis. So suboptimal investment decisions by PFAs, we penalize. And given the fact that the, yeah, the institution that invests or yes, uh, carry out investment, uh, decides on where to invest, that is a PFA, and the custody of the assets are segregated. That gives us a first line of comfort because he who manages should not be able to, should not be the person that will keep, you know, I'm sure you agree with me, that's been the bane of the old scheme 
where individuals, as you said, were able to swallow pension funds. This is not possible till this uh, particular arrangement. Uh, and even the investments that they make is not in their names, it's in, on behalf of the individuals. And practically everyone has who registers will have a retirement savings account. And that account, as I said, is akin to your bank account, meaning you can be able to monitor whatever goes on with your uh, investment, with your contributions. Is there anything that is going out of the, my, my uh, account? How is it faring? What are the returns, what, what are the returns that I'm making on what they are making on my investments, you have the opportunity to be able to monitor whatever is going on. That is on the part of the individual as a responsibility. But for us as a commission, we are very mindful of that fact that we need to build confidence in the system uh, among individuals and ensure that this system is as transparent as possible. And given they are also required, that is the PFS, to give individual statements and on demand. You could walk into your PFA if it's your the one managing your account, you could demand for your statement, complete statement, so that you can be able to check. So, any, um, of course, riding on technology, there's nothing that will go. They are expected for any remittance, for anything that is being taken out of the RSA. You have information real time online. So, that is quite comforting, I, I believe. Of course, we still have a lot of work to do with the human system. There are every room for improvement, and that is what we stand for in the Commission, to ensure that funds are safe. Thank you very much. So we have quite a few questions for you. Um, information, we need how to reach you. Okay. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to suggest that the Secretariat take a list of the questions that, you've, um, that have been put out to you, because there are quite a few, and we're far gone, when you can't, you know, yes, in terms of, you know, yeah. having spent the time beyond what we had planned to. And um, they would have to send you these questions and um, if you could respond to them so that Wimbis can pass these answers back on to the participants that have raised the questions. Yeah, we really definitely. appreciate, we, must, you know, we appreciate you coming on. We thank you for enlightening us a lot more about this and making it understandable because everybody just hears about pension commission and they're not quite sure what they do and what they have to offer. And we hope that at a different time, we'll be able to bring you back on you know, to talk to more of our women, you know, in a more in-depth um, discussion as to what you have available, what the value proposition is, and probably bring one or two people who have made this kind of investment to come and share the testimonials so that we can see real people that we can touch and see and know that this is for real. Thank you very much, sir. We really yeah, appreciate most you. Welcome. Yeah, most welcome. Ladies, thank you so much for giving us the time this afternoon to spend, you know, time with you talking about pivoting even in this challenging, interesting, and opportunistic time that we're in. And I'm looking forward to hearing more from you at a later date of your own experiences trying to pivot. If you come across any challenges on the way, please reach out to us. That's what we miss is out there for. We're out there to handhold the women to make sure that they get to the highest level of all their votes. And once again, we want to thank our sponsors. We want to thank First, Post, um, First Pensions, custodians and Nigerian LNG, and of course the representative from Pensions Commission. Last but not the least, I want to thank my great panelists. You guys were awesome. I want to thank my Wimby Secretariat. They do an awesome, awesome, awesome job every time. And the associates who are volunteers, you know, in the organization that puts together the e-round tables every month. We're taking a break next month because of our first virtual conference, our 19th 
conference and um, we look forward to seeing you guys at the conference and have a nice rest of October. Have a blessed evening and thank you very much for staying with us.